opinions expressed on ACV Media are those of the content creators and should not be assumed to reflect product endorsements or the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. All right. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Untangling Transportation. This is our event for June, and I am very excited that you are all able to be here. And I am appreciative of the fact that you had lots of choices tonight. I read the ACB community calendar, and there were, there's a couple of places I'd like to be right now. So I'm really glad you're here, and I hope uh, that the program will be uh, compelling and interesting and fun. And just remember, it's all recorded, So, uh, and that's true for all the sessions. Um, I want to acknowledge uh, Linda Yaks, who is our ACB host. She is the, um, I, I always think that we should change the name of the host to Bouncer. Um, her job is to make sure that um, we stay on track and on time. Uh, she will help when we get down into the discussion part of the meeting uh, with, with some of that. And of course, if you're um, not on mute when you should be on mute, she is the one who will um, reach out and help you with that. So, uh, and I also want to introduce and, and acknowledge uh, Anthony Corona, who is streaming for us on ACB Media. And so welcome to those of you on ACB Media. We are very, very happy to have you as well. So I'm going to kick this off and then we're going to dive in because the topic tonight is one of my personal favorites. And um, so I don't want to take too, too, too long talking about it. Um, we are going to be hearing from uh, Chris Webb, who is uh, the CEO of a company called Foresight Augmented Reality. And let me just introduce, well, that's such a cool name. It sounds really, really slick and techie, which it is. But let me just introduce a little bit of my love of, of autonomous vehicles uh, it started, it probably started a long time ago, but it started for real in 2016. I was working for the transit agency down here in Phoenix, where I live, and we in, entered into a partnership with an organization called Waymo, and our goal was to have autonomous vehicles delivering trips to paratransit customers, and that was the program that I managed. So as part of that, and the, the pilot actually launched after I left the agency because I moved on to do other things. Uh, but, but I got to do the, the buildup and the work and I got to ride in an autonomous vehicle back in about 2017. And it was so slick. And I remember I came home and I wrote a blog piece called Self-Driving Cars and Date Night because I had always been frustrated by going on dates with my wife and being in the backseat of a taxi. And not that we were like, you know, doing anything inappropriate, but no privacy no anonymity. We could never just like be somewhere by ourselves. And I thought, man, that would be so slick to be in an autonomous vehicle and just go on our own like everybody else does on date night. And it started from there. And I've, I've paid attention and gotten involved in this uh, conversation ever since. Uh, it is an evolving conversation. A lot has happened since then. And so rather than me talk about you know my reminiscence, I want to introduce uh, Chris uh, Webb to talk about what his company is actually doing in the forefront of helping to make this technology accessible for people who are blind and who have low vision and some other things that are happening uh, at the federal level uh, and in the industry to make sure that when, not if, when this technology launches, it launches in a way that is accessible so that folks with disabilities, older adults, blind and, and low vision people, all of us can use it uh, from day one. So Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Ron. 
Appreciate it. Uh, thanks for being here. This is going to be so much fun. So I, I know we have a lot to get into and you have a lot to share. So, but let me just start basic. Um, I think some people probably know who you are because you're sort of a little celebrity in our community. However, if you could just talk a little bit about, about kind of what you do, about foresighted augmented reality, uh, and how you guys got started as a company, what you were doing, and how you got into this space of autonomous vehicles. Just tell us the backstory. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's kind of interesting. So uh, I've been an engineer for 30 years, uh, graduated Vanderbilt University, and I uh, have been in telecom most of my career. But one of my very, very, very closest friends, Dave Furukawa, um, I've known him for over 30 years. He was diagnosed with retinitis pigmentosa. And over those years, I progressively watched his vision go from pretty decent to non-existent. And uh, gosh, a number of years ago now, five or six years ago, he was walking his son to school with his service dog, Simon, who was actually a groom's dog in my wedding. And uh, a car ran a stop sign and hit Dave, threw him a long way. And Simon actually, the greatest dog in the world, knocked Dave's young son out of the way. But Simon got hit by the vehicle, hobbled home, uh, you know, around the block and, and it passed away. So sitting with Dave in the hospital, you know, I said, you know what, I'm ready for doing something different. I was ready to get out of sell my old telecom interest in my company and do something new. And we decided to start a business to help the visually impaired understand the environment around them. So what we initially started doing was utilizing some Bluetooth technology to communicate with cell phones to describe the inside of buildings. So if you're in like the Decatur City Courthouse in Atlanta, Georgia, it will tell you as you walk in, the stairs are to your right, the elevators to your left, all through our smartphone app. We've done a lot of deployments of that technology on bus stops um, in uh, Concord, North Carolina, doing a deployment in Escambia County, Florida now, which is Pensacola. Um, our technology resides on buses as well. So if the audio announcements aren't working, you can pull up our app and it will tell you what the next stop is and how far it is to the stop you desire. Um, so we've kind of built it from that ground. And then um, we found out about something called the Inclusive Design Challenge, which was something that was a program of the U.S. Department of Transportation. And what their goal with this Inclusive Design Challenge is, is to make sure that autonomous vehicles are accessible from the start, not an add-on and not trying to solve a problem later because that, you know, we all know that never happens, right? It never happens well. So they want to do it from the start. And uh, they were taking proposals on, you know, different ways to make autonomous vehicles accessible. And it's not just the visually impaired, it could be any disability. And they took 10 groups and um, funded them with cash to develop the pro uh, proposal into a prototype. And uh, the 10 companies and groups did that. And now we're all competing for first, second and third place, which is some significant funding um, to actually, you know, make it a reality. And, and that's kind of where we are now. That's awesome. And, um, you know, it, just a little bit of backstory. I actually, uh, I don't know if I met Chris, I met David in Phoenix back when you were launching your, your beacon uh, technology and, so I got to see it work way back then. And it's great to hear that you all have continued 
uh, to, to build your company and build that technology. And now you're in this new space of autonomous vehicles and, <clears throat> and, and figuring out how to make those accessible. I want to get into your technology in, in a minute, but before I do, I'd like you to just share a little bit more about the, uh, the inclusive design challenge and maybe share some of the other cool things. Um, I've certainly familiar with this program. I've done some reading and, and there are some really interesting things that some of the, the other teams are working on. And, and I would call this, this is like, um, this, you know, you guys are like frenemies, you know, you're all friends working <laughs> on the same challenge, but you're also going for money, which is the best kind of competition because it's competition that elevates, um, rather than, you know, trying to eliminate people and send them home. The whole point here is to elevate this technology. And you guys are all really, you're sharing a lot of information with each other. You're sharing your proposals. So what, what is, what are some of the cool things that you are seeing other companies work on that aren't necessarily related to blindness or low vision, but that maybe have some, some spillover benefits for folks like us who really want to use this technology, but have some concerns? Wow, um, that's a really good question. So uh, back in January, all you know, everybody uh, had their proposals about a year ago, uh, but it didn't have a lot of information. But back in January, we had what they called a design charrette, where all the uh, organizations competing in the Inclusive Design Challenge gave a 10-minute presentation about what they were working on. So we got to see a little bit of what people were doing. And you know, the, the range was huge. Um, there were several groups that were working on um, wheelchair anchoring systems so that if you had a particular attachment on your wheelchair, you could easily get onto an autonomous vehicle and safely anchor in. Um, thought that was pretty unique. Um, there were there's several of them working on, uh, including us, um, in, uh, smartphone apps that can be consistent across autonomous vehicles. So that if you're calling one that's owned by Uber or you're calling one that's owned by Lyft, or if you, even if you own one, you could have the same app to, to request it and control it. Um, there are people doing things for people with cognitive disabilities um, where they're using the cameras in the phone to try to identify landmarks and places that you're navigating. Um, so it was pretty across the board um, on a lot of different disabilities. It was, it's, you know, we don't, we haven't gotten to the point yet where we're able to see the final um, solutions that people created that we'll see in probably the next two weeks, I think. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Very cool. And I'm going to resist the urge of asking all the questions tonight. Uh, so th that wouldn't be fair um, and nobody <laughs> would come back, but I will ask a couple more. And so let's pretend that we're all sitting around your uh, drafting table in your, in your, uh, workshop there, developing technology. Talk to us about what you're doing. Take us behind the scenes as far as you can and share what you guys are doing uh, and how your technology uh, that you know, your proposal is going to address this question of accessibility uh, for autonomous vehicles for uh, folks like us who are blind and have low vision. Absolutely. So um, our proposal was for the visually impaired and blind, but also uh, we want to include everybody as you know, whether you have uh, cognitive disabilities or maybe you're elderly and you're not used to a very complex app. So we tried to create a system that is usable by everybody. So what we have done is we, one of the problems we have seen over and over and over is with Uber and Lyft. Uh, when you summon an Uber or Lyft, a lot of times they don't show up where you are. They show up close to where you are. But if you can't see where the vehicle is, you have to call the driver. 
Um, you know, I see my business partner, Dave Furukawa, deal with this all the time, calling the driver, where are you? Look for me. I'm the gentleman with the white cane or I have my service dog. So we looked at that as a, a huge problem with autonomous vehicles because you don't have anybody to call. You've got this vehicle that pulls up, no way to find out exactly where it is. So calling the vehicle and finding your vehicle is problem number one. Problem number two is getting from your vehicle to your actual destination because you may not be dropped off right where you want to be. Uh, you may be, you know, three doors down, three businesses down. So we have created some technology utilizing ultra wideband frequencies. It's, it's similar to Bluetooth and that it's a radio frequency, but it allows us to determine a direction to where we put these tags and an actual distance down to 10 centimeters in real time. So what we've created is a system where we have our, our app that can work across autonomous vehicles. You can summon the vehicle, you can pull it, it'll pull up. The app can actually then tell you, hey, your vehicle is 37.5 feet away to your left. So as you're walking down toward the vehicle, it will count down a distance and it will tell you as, you know, as you get closer to it, obviously the angle to it changes. It'll tell you the vehicle is directly to your left. Um, it will guide you to the vehicle accurately and easily. And then on the ride, our technology will keep you updated on uh, distance to your destination. It'll allow you to control the radio stations, uh, uh, set the climate control, adjust the seats, whatever functionality is in the car, our app can communicate back. And then once you get out of the vehicle, if you're going to a destination such as a stadium or somewhere large uh, that may have our technology installed there, um, it will guide you directly to the door. So if you're going to the stadium or uh, going going to the theater or something, it can direct guide you directly to your final destination. So your ride's accessible from point A all the way to point B, which is your actual destination. You know, we kind of look at it like if you can't make it all the way from A to the door of where you're going, the entire ride fails. So, um, and if you don't have our technology at the end, we, we are working on a system of community sourced information so that once you get out of your vehicle, it can give you descriptions to identify landmarks to get where you're going. So that's kind of the gist of what we proposed and what we did. And, and to do that, not only did we create the ultra wideband technology, we actually created an autonomous vehicle simulator that sits in a vehicle and tells the driver, you know, uh, somebody summoned you, pick them up here and it takes you there, picks up the driver or picks up the passenger. It'll guide them to the destination. And then as the person's getting out, uh, you can, you can uh, follow. It can track, actually track the person and how far they are from their destination, that sort of thing. So we've done a lot of work on this and try to really complete the entire picture of the entire ride and provide a real, not simulated scenario of how it works. And uh, I'd say we've had really good success with it. It's been, it's been really phenomenal. That's excellent. And before we, um, we're going to, we're getting to the point where I want to open it up, but be, first, before I do, could you just share a little bit about, uh, I got two more questions. So this one is share just a little bit about the schedule for the project. Uh, you said that you're nearing that point where the, where there's going to be some decisions made by the U S department of transportation. Uh, you know, where is that, uh, when is that happening and what does the process look like from there, assuming that you're one of the firms that are selected um, you know, or, you know, whatever you want to share there, what does that look like? And, you know, how long do you think this product is? I mean, the bigger question is how long is autonomous vehicles from hitting the street, but, um, assuming that, you know, the timelines are similar, where do you see that timeline going? 
Sure. So, so the uh, challenge started in early 2021. Mm-hmm. And uh, on May 1st, we presented a demo video of our technology and a 20-page write-up of the technical details of our, our, our technology. And then just last Wednesday, actually, one week, uh, one week ago, we did a live demonstration with uh, about, I think there were about 16 people on the Zoom. We were hoping it'd be in Washington, D.C., but with COVID, it was over Zoom. So we did a live demo to uh, about 16 people from the Department of Transportation, the Federal Transit Administration. And I th- I'm pretty confident we were the last of all the teams to present. So um, a decision on the winner should be sometime in the near future. Um, they said soon after the last demonstration. So and, and the results of that, they're pick- out of the 10, they're picking one, two and three. The, it's considered prize money and it's uh, either a million dollars, seven hundred thousand dollars or three hundred thousand dollars. So we're hoping to land in the top three. I think from what I've seen, I think we have a good potential for that. Yeah. So, yeah, you're, you're definitely up against some stiff competition, but this sounds like a really, really cool project. And from your standpoint, let's assume that you do get at least some of that funding. What's, you know, what is the timeline to deploy this technology, assuming that the vehicles are ready to go? Well, we, we want to create, we want to take our prototype hardware and turn it into a final piece of hardware that has, you know, FCC approvals and, and European approvals. So um, our engineers that we worked with to help develop this have estimated we can have that in six to eight months. So, you know, we can have that before autonomous vehicles are, are everywhere, because obviously that's a couple of years away, but we'll have them soon to get them on the vehicles out there that we can maybe partner with now to, to prove it out that it's actually going to be really helpful, yeah. which I know it will be. And as yeah. well as we can use this technology for other things. Pilot testing is what I'm thinking about, you know, because these technologies are going to continue uh, to be tested. Now, I will say that the current administration isn't doing as many pilots with autonomous vehicles as the last administration, uh, but but these are still happening and and there's going to continue to be interest. Um, As as we wrap up and right before we head into the to the rest of the discussion, what is your biggest yeah, what is your biggest aha moment? What do you, you know, what is your vision for this technology? Um, you know, what, what gets you excited to keep doing this work right now? Well, I mean, what, what gets me excited is, is honestly just helping people. I mean, I've, Dave is one of my great friends. So I, you know, I, I see how much benefit this can be for him and I know it could be beneficial for others, but, you know, with the inclusive design challenge, it, it really, not only benefits autonomous vehicles and making them accessible, we've got 10 other things that we can do with this ultra wideband technology from anywhere from uh, indoor navigation accurately, super accurately to uh, accessible intersections where we can guide you directly down a crosswalk down, you know, down to the centimeter accuracy to making sure that you're going, you know, through the crosswalk properly. So we've talked to companies about all these things and that, that want to partner with us. So it's exciting. There's just a lot of potential with it. Cool. Awesome. Well, that's a great story. And I know that people are going to have questions. So I'm going to uh, introduce uh, again, Linda uh, Yaks, who will uh, give the information on how to uh, raise your hand and ask questions. And we'll just, uh, we'll go until about five minutes before the hour with as many as we can. And uh, let's just see where we go. So uh, Linda, go ahead. All right, everyone. So <clears throat> the way that you raise your hand on a PC is Alt-Y. And then once you've been called on, you can mute and unmute with Alt-A. 
To raise your hand on a Mac is option Y. Mute and unmute is command shift A. If you're on a smartphone, you'll find a more button. And most of the time it's down in the lower right hand corner. And then you flick over to raise hand. And then once you are called on, there should be a mute and unmute button in the lower left hand corner. If you're on a landline or a push button phone, you will use star nine to raise your hand and you will use star six to mute and unmute. And I would appreciate it if all of you will stay muted unless you're actually speaking. We want to be kind to each other and keep our call safe, welcoming and respectful. And yes, you do have hands. All right. Well, why don't you? Um, why don't f- you? Yep. Go ahead. The first person is Charlene. Okay. Charlene, Charlene you can yes. unmute. Thank you. Um, I wonder if you have a, an app out now, and if so, what is it, what is the name of it? Well, we have an app out now that that uh, interacts with our Bluetooth Bluetooth technology, uh, which is is likely not deployed where you are. But our current app is called Far Vision. Um, it's actually being writ- rewritten from scratch right now to support our ultra wideband technology, which will have much greater functionality. But certainly you can download it and uh, check it out if you wanted to. Okay, and next you have we have Anicio. You can unmute. Hi, how are you, Chris? Uh, you probably don't remember me, but you and Dave came to visit the Center for the Visually Impaired when you just starting with Far Vision. Mm-hmm. And you, we were going to do install some beacons throughout the floors of CVI in Atlanta, and then I left. So I, mean, I don't think ah. that ever happened. But it is so wonderful to hear your voice and especially to hear how much you guys have grown. And, and I, I certainly wish you the best of luck and with the uh, federal funds. And please say hello to my, my friend, David. Thank you. Absolutely, Will. I do remember you. I do remember meeting with you. And uh, Dave and I have talked about you actually not too long ago. Yeah. So it's great to hear from you. Same here. Thank you so much. Good luck. Thank you. Next, we have Rosemary. You may unmute. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes, we can. Okay. I have two questions. One is that um, I live in a, an apartment complex that even GPS doesn't help because it's like all gated off on the street side, you know, because it has the name of the street. So they have to come in on the main apartment complex entrance, which is on a different street. So how would you deal with that kind of an issue? So are you telling me the vehicle cannot get close to your apartment? Is that what you're saying? That's correct. Because to come in, they have to come in, you know, because like there's a driveway and then mm-hmm. there's a street. But what they've done is they've gated off the entrances to the actual streets, you know, that the uh, apartment, uh, that side of the apartment complex faces. Mm-hmm. So in order to get to it, you have to come in on the main road and then you'd have to come in a driveway and go around to the back side of the complex to mm-hmm. actually find the actual apartment. Gotcha. Well, sometimes, so it, it depends on what mapping system somebody's using, but you know, some, some mapping systems will actually have some of those driveways, private driveways and that sort of thing in their mapping system. And they may be able to bring you to it. But one, one of the things that we have integrated in with our product is something called what three words 
And um, it's not going to get you through a locked gate, but it can get you closer to where you want to go than using an address. So it, basically what you can do is, is, is you'd have to have somebody who's, who's cited to, to tell you what the what three words address of your destination is. But a what three words address represents a three, uh, 10 foot by 10 foot square on planet Earth. So, for example, if outside your apartment uh, parking lot at the parking lot there, you could find the what three words address. And let's say it's pizza, hot dog, hamburgers. In our app, you could put in pizza, hot dog, hamburgers, and the vehicle will map to that spot. And if it knows the roads to get to that spot, it will get there. And for us, um, we're utilizing um, some mapping software that actually has a lot of smaller roads in it. Um, Google, on the other hand, I, I, if you use that, I, I don't think it has as many no, small roads in it. No. Yeah, Google, even even uh, I've used Google in one of our uh, demos for our Department of Transportation stuff to, you know, kind of compare. Here's what happens if you use Google to get to your destination. Here's what happens if you use our technology with what three words. So our, our what three words allows you to identify locations that may not have an address. And, um, you know, it really depends on the mapping system. Now, we also <laughs> could put put our technology up in your complex that would help you navigate on foot from the gate to your complex if, uh, you know, if that was something the apartment complex wanted to do. Yeah, see, the thing is you can't cross into, in, through the gate. You can't get mm -hmm. out, out right. to the act to that road yeah. at all. And unless Chris, they open the gate for whatever reason, and they're not likely to do that unless mm -hmm. there's, you know, like an emergency vehicle or something like that. Sure. Um, but, you know, the thing is, is that, like, we have this new system, uh, bus system that they just developed about a year ago. And, you know, in order to, for them to find me, I basically have to call the, you know, call the service and have them give the driver a heads up that when they get close to the complex to call me so I can instruct them how to find it, you know. Mm -hmm. So, but Chris, with, but with something like that, you know, you, you don't have the ability to instruct the vehicle to find you, you know. Yep. My, my second question is like, say you actually own one of these autonomous vehicles and say you go to Walmart and you tell it to you know, go park in the parking lot, will it find its own space and park itself? And then when you want it, just call it and then would it come back and get you or how would that work? Yep. That, you know, uh, we're on the accessibility side of the vehicle and not the actual control of the vehicle, but yes, in, in essence, that's the way an autonomous vehicle should work. It could drop you off and then go park. Um, you know, I know, I know even currently, um, I don't know about the parking side of it, but currently if you owned a Tesla with some of their high-end software on it, it can actually come pick you up in front of Walmart from the parking spot, and navigate over and pick you up. So uh, the autonomous vehicles should and likely will all be able to do that. And then they'd have to have some kind of alert to let you know that it's your vehicle and not somebody else's. Well, I mean, yes, and that's what our technology actually does. So with this ultra wideband technology we're utilizing, it only identifies the vehicle it's looking for. So when, when you find a direction and distance to your autonomous vehicle, it's a secure connection only to your vehicle. So you're going to go to the proper vehicle. That's one of the things that was really important is to make sure that there's a safety issue here as well. If you're doing something like honking a horn on the vehicle to bring you to your vehicle, 
um, or scanning a QR code that's on the side of a vehicle, that can be a bit problematic because you can fake honking a horn. If you're in Times Square, you're not going to hear a horn. Or if you have a Q, if you have a QR code on the side of the car, you know that's easily replaced with another QR code. So right. you know what we're doing is secure and um, and safe. So we need to need to keep moving because we do have other hands okay, well, raised. Thank you. Appreciate the yep. information. Um, but thank I you. did want to just Chris ask you quickly. Um, she brings Rosemary, Rosemary brings up a good point about gates and, mm-hmm. and, and this is, I realize is an autonomous vehicle question more than an accessibility question, but do you have any, um, any kind of inside information on how the industry is thinking about that issue? Because obviously, uh, the vehicle can't go through a gate unless it's equipped with a nice battering ram, which I assume they won't be. So, <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, I don't really know what the autonomous yeah. vehicle companies are doing for that, but it is a really valid, valid point. Next uh, question, Linda, who's next? Pam Coffee, you may unmute. Hello, a very interesting topic. My question, my first question, and I'll, there may be one to follow, but. Um, I consider myself average when it comes to using technology. But I know people, and especially older people, senior adults, what have you, who would very much like to be able to use um, autonomous vehicles and all this fancy uh GPS type navigation you're talking about. Uh, But for some of them, let's just face it, they and technology do not get along all that well. (laughs) And my question is, how difficult is your um, far vision, I think you called it, your app? Um, How difficult is it to use and can it be used in, in anywhere? Because I don't live in Chicago. I don't live in New York. I don't live in Los Angeles. I live in a smaller city. They don't know what beacons are here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Well, they as, as, as... know what autonomous vehicles are, but they don't know a whole lot. So sure. Well, Far questions. Vision is our is our Bluetooth technology. And, and that's not necessarily related to the autonomous vehicle side. Um, that app, the autonomous vehicle app is not out in the marketplace yet. But that's a really good question about people that are technology adverse um, or, or not very good at it. We actually had that question from the U.S. Department of Transportation last week. And um, there's two, two things about that. We, we've done two things is we've developed our app so that we can we already have a pretty um, usable, easy interface on it that most people could use. But um, the question we got previously was, hey, my father-in-law is like almost 90 years old and can barely use a smartphone. Well, <laughs> what, what we've done is we've uh, developed our system so that a user can have um, a loved one that can be part of their account. So um, if your dad is 90 years old, uh, you could actually go online and book the call the vehicle form and say, you know, pick up my dad at this location, take him to this location. Mm-hmm. And we've designed our system so that you could actually track uh, through a web page, a secure web page. You could track where that vehicle is and where your loved one is. So they don't necessarily have to call the vehicle themselves. You could actually call it for them. 
and uh, monitor the entire trip. Which means you may also be able to integrate with concierge services and, you know, and IRA, for example, you know, services that are out in the community that do that kind of work uh, so that a person could theoretically access this through a standard phone. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, next question. So for what can the, uh, for what can Far Vision actually be used? Well, if you, if you're living somewhere that doesn't have our beacons right now, it's, uh-huh. uh, it's not something that's going to uh, help you. Okay. Now, we, we do have some personal beacons that would be helpful, but, you know, our ultra wideband technology is going to currently, is going to replace the Bluetooth technology we're using in the, in the near future. So I, I'll have more uses for that in the near future, but mostly our technology is deployed in bigger cities right now. Got it. Awesome. I run into that all the time. It doesn't work here. It doesn't work here. It doesn't yeah. work here. Uh, <laughs> it's a tough, it's a tough challenge. Yes. Who's next? Linda? Thanks. Next, we have Chris Peterson. You may unmute. Hey, Ron, Chris, this is a very interesting conversation. I'm also acquainted sort of with, uh, with Dave. Um, I'm interested in what your technology would do to the cost of autonomous vehicles. That would be a concern for companies that would would uh, offer them as as uh, you know rideshare type type uh, services, as well as people who would own them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, you know, the technology itself, ultra wideband technology, is not that expensive. Um, it, it's very similar to Bluetooth. It's just a different chipset and different frequency. Um, you know, it operates differently, but as far as cost, it's, it's really not much more than, than having uh, Bluetooth added to the vehicle. So the cost for the, uh, like Uber or Lyft actually will be very low. And, you know, kind of our hopes is, is that we can uh, get a pilot test with Uber or Lyft once we develop our, our ultra wideband uh, beacons and tags. And, and have them test it because the, um, the cost is, is very low. And as far as the end user, the cost will be zero. Um, it, it, will be paid, it will be paid by the vehicle owner, whether it be a ride share. If it's a personal vehicle, I guess it's, it, you know, the user is obviously paying for it. But it will not be expensive. It will be very, very palatable. You know, and I think one of the advantages of, of what the USDOT has done is you know there's an opportunity and this becomes an advocacy issue for the the disability community uh, and for the and for the community in general is that as this technology is developed and regulated um, these become like safety features and you know it, you can't purchase a car without certain safety enhancements now seat belts would be a perfect example uh, those things all cost money but when they're built into the cost of the vehicle before it's ever purchased uh, one, it's a lot cheaper, and two, people don't really sit and parse the cost because they don't have a choice. So it's really important mm-hmm. for us as a community to make sure that as regulations are developed for this technology, that we address accessibility inside the regulations. And I think that's really the intention that the USDOT has. Next question or comment. Bob Kavanaugh, you may unmute. Okay, hello. Um, Ron, actually, this question is more for you than for Chris. I would be curious as to, since you've said, since you said you've ridden in mm-hmm. an autonomous vehicle under, uh, with the current technology, I would be curious as to what 
your thoughts are as to um, where where things are are right now and in terms of like definitely the location issue which Chris brought up earlier but I'm, I'm curious if there's anything else that you think really needs to be improved before this technology is mainstreamed well there yeah there's and I'll and Chris you can chime in as well that there's mm-hmm. a lot we don't know because you know this work is being done primarily in the private sector uh, by companies who don't sit around and share all the information that they have um, the experience that I have tells me a couple of things. Um, one, riding in a vehicle is like riding in a vehicle. So the the vehicle itself, other than just solving for the technology challenges, is probably the easiest part because once the vehicle is working and the map and it's and it's integrated to a map that's in you know that's built into the technology, the vehicle works like a vehicle, and you can sit in it, you can ride in it. The vehicle that I rode in was was comfortable. It was a it was a converted minivan. There was there was functionality built in that addressed you know my inability to see. There was a button that you literally pressed to start the trip, and it had a nice big braille you know start on there, and uh, and it had large print and all that you know that kind of stuff. So those kinds of things are not hard. The, the real challenge, and I think Chris identified some of these, is it, it's in the process of getting to and from the vehicle. Um, and it's in the process of dealing with exceptions. So vehicle breaks down as they, you know, they will break down. Um, you know, whatever can happen that eventually will happen, there ha- you have to think through those edge cases to make sure that those are addressed. And I think that those are the things that keep people up at night. And those are the things that, that we're going to have to figure out before this technology uh, can hit the street. The, Absolutely. And there's a lot of debating between, you know, the, the optimists uh, who say, you know, three to five years and versus the pessimists who say it's not going to happen in our lifetime. Um, I, I think the other big issue is mapping and the quality of mapping data. This technology functions at level four autonomy, which is basically, that's technical jargon, but basically it means that inside of a, of a geofence, which is basically a mapped area on planet Earth, the vehicle runs completely autonomously. Uh, but you have to you have to do that mapping, and it's a lot of mapping. So I think that's probably you know, the the biggest challenges for this technology are getting the mapping done, getting the regulations done, uh, addressing things like insurance, um, and then figuring out those edge cases. Um, and I think those are the things that we have to pay attention and watch out for. Absolutely. Okay, next we have a phone number, and it's area code 682. You may unmute. Area code 682, please unmute. This is Calandra. Oh, hi, Calandra. Oh, that was you, Calandra. Um, this is what I've been stuck on. When uh, we have, uh, I've been hearing about such things as cars that drive themselves, but they have technology built into them uh, with GPS. I don't remember who I heard. I think I heard it from lots of people, but um, what are their functions other than driving themselves? And how much do they... Yeah, I don't, 
I don't know, Chris, do you know if there's a price on these cars? I mean, these cars aren't in the market yet. I mean, if you can buy a Tesla, a Tesla um, markets itself as a self-driving car. It's not. Um, it is It is drivers. It is basically assisted uh, technology. It, it functions at level three autonomy, which basically means it can drive itself under certain situations, but you still have to have a driver uh, who has to get involved sometimes. And you know, we've, there was an article that came out today, actually, that said there's been a lot of accidents uh, with self-driving cars. And, and, and typically what happens is drivers get bold and they're sitting in their car and the car's doing a lot of the work and the driver loses their attention. Uh, and then the car does something and the driver needs to get involved and they don't. And there's, and there's an accident. So Mm-hmm. You know, this technology is not ready yet, and it's it's in the process of becoming ready, but it's not there yet. But it would cost a bottle of money, though, and probably by the time I'm 99 years old, it'll probably already be here. Yeah, yeah, we don't know yet, but that's <laughs> that's the big question. So, but you know, I am really curious about these things. What do they call them? New Yorkers or like what you said, Teslas? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, a lot, those are Teslas and those are, you know, those are available in many places. Um, so, you know, stay tuned. I'm sure that more will be happening. And uh, Linda, who is our next uh, uh, pres- uh, question? Um, it's a secret. There's no hands. Oh, it's a secret. <laughs> Can you give me a time check? Um, it is 41 minutes past the hour. Oh, we're doing great. Awesome. Um <clears throat> okay, Diana oh. has her hand up. Diana, you may unmute. Hi, um, this is a great presentation. I'm really enjoying it. Um, I have a question that may be kind of stupid, but I've often thought about this. What happens when I've ridden with Uber and Lyft and stuff before? Um, I've heard the drivers, you know, you, you get to chit chat with them and stuff. and. I've heard them occasionally speak about how they'll pick up people from a lot of, a lot of the rides they do is picking up people from the bars and things like that. And sometimes they'll throw up in their vehicles and stuff like that. So I was just wondering what, (laughs) what happens where after you exit the vehicle, vehicle, does it go back somewhere to get cleaned or how would that be handled? Or like, let's say I would imagine this wouldn't happen, but let's say somebody for some reason stayed in the vehicle lying in wait for the next person. I mean, you know, if you had, the nefarious people or something that wanted to hurt someone. I don't know. It's just questions that have often because of safety concerns. And yeah. 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 Health concerns. I've thought about. I, I, this, from what I know, and I don't know a lot. Uh, the second issue is probably easier to solve than the first issue. So uh, the, the, the way that the technology and, and Chris, you can speak more to the, to kind of the geo yeah, the, the, the GPS-based nature of the technology. But when you are in a vehicle, um, the vehicle is, particularly if you're using a phone app that, that basically it's going to locate that vehicle on planet Earth, it's going to locate you, and your trip can't really start until you're in proximity with each other, and your trip can't really end until you're not in proximity with each other. And I think that that is the way that that, that can be addressed. I mean... I guess somebody could throw their phone out the window and that might be a difference, but you know, those are the kind of edge cases that they'll have to think through because I mean, they are the kinds of things that can derail progress um, because they have, you know, they're, even though they're very rare, they are the kind of things that, 
get media attention. They're the kind of things that create lawsuits. So they, they're important and they have to be dealt with. But I think that second issue that can be largely solved with technology and, and GPS technology. The first issue I'm thinking, I don't know, air sensors. I, I have no <laughs> idea. So yeah, Chris, the, first, the first one's yeah. The first one's tough, tough to solve. I, I I've seen that happen myself. So it's a, uh, Nobody wants to be in a car after a sick person. But, um, you know, the, the second thing there are, you could put sensors in a vehicle to detect whether somebody's in there, somebody stays. There, there would be ways, like Ron said, if, you know, you could throw your phone out the window or whatever. And that would probably not be a, an effective way to determine if somebody's still in the car. But you could certainly have a movement sensor in there or an infrared sensor to detect a body in there. Um, the other thing is, you know, with our technology, with our ultra wideband technology, we do not, you know, imagine your car pulls up. One of the concerns from focus groups we did was, you know, what keeps other people from getting in the car quietly as you're walking to the car? So with our ultra wideband technology, it automatically unlocks the door closest to you as you get like right to the car, leaves all the other doors locked to make sure that nobody's sneaking in with you. So we've tried to think through some of those scenarios didn't necessarily think about somebody staying in the car. That's more of a car issue than an accessibility issue, I think, but it's a really valid question. It's, it's something that I hope they're addressing. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Right, so, um, okay, Chris has his hand up. Chris Peterson has his hand up again. Okay. And you don't have anybody new right now, so. Perfect, Chris, go ahead. Hey, um, Chris, you said earlier that your technology has other applications outside of, of the autonomous vehicle space. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if you could tell us more about some of those. Absolutely. So um, well, there's a bunch of them um, that we've talked to people about. I think, I think um, I'll, just, I'll just throw a few of them out there. So indoor navigation with Bluetooth technology is problematic. There, it's not super accurate. Um, you know, there's other indoor navigation technologies such as using the camera on your phone. Uh, that's great if nobody's around you, if you're not in a crowd, that can be problematic. You can also use um, the magnetism of the building to help uh, in, as well as Wi-Fi signals to navigate. But with ultra wideband, um, we can triangulate very accurately by having multiple beacons up in a hallway or in a room, we can get um, really accurate position on somebody. So we're pretty confident we can create a very hyper accurate indoor navigation system for one, using these ultra wideband tags. Um, other applications, we were contacted by a, a group that is working on um, smart intersections. So, Imagine doing that same triangulation at an intersection so you can guide somebody directly down the crosswalk, you know, whether it's this direction, that direction, you know, some crosswalks you go across at an angle now. So um, we can, we can, we haven't tested it, but we're confident we can accurately guide you down, down an intersection like that. As far as our uh, bus transportation stuff we're deploying right now, um, we can get you with GPS close to a bus stop and then use our Bluetooth to get you very close to where you want to be um, at your bus stop. But with ultra wideband, we can get you right, right pinpointed at your bus stop or the seat at your bus stop. Um, we can do a lot of things with ultra wideband technology. And, and we're not the only ones. I mean, uh, Apple just 
uh, announced that they're going to in, uh, integrate, I, I think they're calling it Apple Car Door or something like that. Manufacturers are starting to in, integrate ultra wideband into the doors of the vehicles so that you can use your Apple phone as a car key. And that uses ultra wideband. It's a little bit of a different use case than what we're doing, but it, it's getting to be a very um, widely talked about and um, popular technology out there. Which means it gets cheaper. So yes. That's the other cool thing. So while we're waiting, um, just I'm going to take privilege here while we let some other hands raise. I'm going to ask you to, to let's get really far-fetched for a minute. And we know that um, in addition to uh, autonomous vehicles, which is what we're talking about tonight, uh, uh, autonomous, um, I'm sorry, autonomous air vehicles um, are also being developed. And in some cases, the technology is actually easier uh, than for, uh, for autonomous vehicles driving on the roads. And I'm going to just speculate that the technology that you're developing has a use case in that industry as well, should we get to the point of having, um, you know, Jetsons style <laughs> autonomous air vehicles. I think, uh, yeah, I think you're exactly right because you still have to locate your vehicle and you yep. still have to, you know, get from your vehicle to where you're going. So I think, uh, you know, I hadn't thought about that, but that's um, it's really an interesting take. It sure no would problem. be a great day if we could all take a little, little air vehicle home and avoid all the traffic and, and all the hassles. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It's really, really interesting. I mean, this is not, I mean, Uber, uh, Uber was in the air vehicle technology space until they, they, they sold that division of the company uh, probably, you know, and you know, for, for other reasons, not because the technology is not viable. Uh, this technology is, is advancing fairly rapidly right now. Uh, and again, some of the technical issues actually might be easier because there's a lot more space to work with in the air than there is on the ground. So mm -hmm. very cool stuff. So, yeah. Linda, do we have other questions? Yes, we do. Bob Cavanaugh has his hand up. You may okay. unmute, Bob. Yes. Um, so getting back to the, uh, the thing about, uh, you know, it'll only unlock the door, the car will only unlock the door that you're, um, that you're uh, at. Um, so I'm curious, I, I would think then too, there would be a way to unlock other doors if you want. Cause like I was in a group, I was, I was mm -hmm. in, an, in an Uber with a group the other day. It's like, so I'm, I am, you know, taking the, the car, but there's four of us. So I'm, I'm sure. assuming there's going to be a way to do that. Right. Yeah, absolutely. It's actually a preference in our app um, as to unlock the door that's closest to uh, your side of the road and, and which door and or unlock all the doors. So we actually have a set of presets so that when you get to the vehicle, it actually will set the radio station. It'll set the climate control when you when you summit it, summon it. Um, Sweet. It will. It'll, yeah, it'll take all these presets that you have in your app. and It'll send that to the vehicle ahead of time. That's cool. Yeah, it, it works. It works really well. And it's, um, you know, it's great because it's it's a, it's a secure way to to get into the vehicle, you know, with, with our, with our, you know, so what happens is when you're looking for the vehicle, you know, tell you a distance and when you're pointing toward the vehicle, it, it'll beep and let you know you're pointing toward your vehicle. And it's great to know it's, it's actually your vehicle. You know, you know, with 100% confidence that you're going to your vehicle, you're not going to, you know, somebody that's honking a horn and trying to get you to come to their vehicle so they can rob you or something like that. Mm -hmm. So it, it's some neat technology and it's, um, you know, the whole autonomous vehicle thing is amazing. I think it's going to, 
it's going to be great for people with disabilities, but it, it, in, in reality, it's going to be great for everybody. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Right now we have no hands and you have nine minutes. Well, I want to just share a statistic with folks because, you know, one of the issues and, you know, Chris and feel free to comment, um, you know, one of the issues that is raised often is I'm uncomfortable with the idea of no driver. And even though I've ridden in taxis with, with drivers who are maybe not so great, or I've ridden with my, you know, my cousin who was driving with one hand, drinking a Starbucks with the other and, and talking on a Bluetooth. And, and the road was the last thing on that person's mind, but I still feel more comfortable with a driver. And I just want to share a statistic and maybe get your reaction, Chris, because I know you probably drive a car yourself. 94% of accidents are contributed to at least in part by human error. So, so 94%, that's basically 19 times out of 20, an accident is caused at least in part by a human being making a mistake. So my question to you is, do you believe that uh, yeah, accessibility aside for a minute, do you believe that autonomous vehicles can really help us get to the you know, re a reduction of 95% or close to 95% of the accidents that are happening? I personally think eventually we'll get there. I think, you know, with as quickly as technology is advancing, I think we'll get there. And yeah, I, I, I see accidents all the time, including all the people that have hit my wife. Um, it's always people distracted by something, you know, on their phones. We have so many distractions this day, these days with texts and, you know, Facebook messages and Twitter. And, you know, um, I think taking that out of the equation, you know, even though there will always be some autonomous vehicles that have accidents, you know, um, just that I read that same article you were referencing earlier uh, yeah, today about too. The, the accidents. And that's always going to happen, but it's going to get better and better and better. You think about you think about the safety of aircraft nowadays and, you know, how they're effectively over 90 percent of the time flying on autopilot. And, you know, the technology keeps you safe. It keeps you keeps you where you need to be. It avoids other planes. It, it handles weather. I think you're going to get I mean, there's a lot more uh, just, you know, things in the way of a vehicle. But I think. I think over time, it's really going to make the whole transportation thing much safer. I, I personally, the idea of riding in a vehicle without a driver, would I would probably be a little uncomfortable at first. But I think once after I got I got used to it, I think it would probably be, you know, actually a pretty comfortable thing, knowing that I'm a lot safer than some Uber driver, like you're saying, that's not paying attention. So I want to ask you what closing question, and then, then we'll talk about uh, a couple other things as we wrap up. Here's my closing question to you, Chris. When you think about the work that you're doing, and obviously you're in the middle of a competition, uh, you're on a path right now. How can how do you how can you think that the disability community or the blind community or the ACB or us as individuals, how can we as individuals support the efforts that you and other companies focused on making this technology accessible and bringing it to the market? How can we support those efforts? Uh, how can we engage in the conversation with our ideas, with questions? Um, you know, what thoughts do you have about how consumers can get in and help direct this in a way that, that meets our needs as consumers? You know, it's a great question. Um, I, I think, the, I, 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 you know, I personally think the biggest thing um, the disability community can do, can do is really get their voice out there and let their elected officials know that 
this has to happen. There has to be accessibility in, in, in all this new technology. Uh, let, let the companies that are developing this stuff like Waymo and, and Zooks and Ford and Tesla and Cruise, which is GM, let them know, you know, make your voices heard to them that, hey, these things need to be accessible from the start. Um, I think, you know, if the public's demanding it, I mean, it, it, it it's going to have to happen. That's 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 the way things seem to get done these days is, is that, you know, it's got to be demanded or the company may not do it. And, and I, I think being being vocal about the need is is really important. Great. All right. Well, I want to just uh, wrap, bring this call to a wrap up. I want to, again, acknowledge all of you for being here, for your questions, uh, for your comments. It was a really, really fun discussion. And um, and I think we, we got to cover a lot of ground. And that's really exciting. I want to acknowledge and thank Chris for joining us. And Chris, I sure hope that you share with us as soon as you know uh, the good news around your uh, uh, your application to the USDOT uh, uh, program uh, for funding. We hope that the Your Inclusive Design Challenge is selected uh, as a as a winner. Thank you. And so please let us know how that goes and let us know. Also, I'd like to invite you uh, to share information if you have it about where people can go to check out uh, your um, uh, FAR, uh, FAR, FAR Vision installations. It'd be great if we could share that information because there might be some people who could benefit uh, okay. even from that technology today. And I want to let the rest of you know, well, first off, let me just make sure I thank Anthony for streaming, Linda for hosting. I want to let the rest of you know that um, Rock the, on, July call, the July call is uh, probably not going to happen. We have a lot of things going on with the ACB conference and convention. Uh, we have other consumer organizations having meetings as well, vacations. So we'll, we are going to take a break in July and let you all take a break with us. And we are going to come back with some very cool things uh, starting in August for these calls. And I would like to invite you, if you have ideas about topics that you'd like to hear us talk about on these calls, send a note to connect. That's just the word connect at Accessible Avenue, which is all one word, dot net. Um, and please share your ideas, your comments, your questions, things that you'd like to, to uh, hear more about. And of course, you're also welcome to check us out online at accessibleavenue.net. Uh, and see the things that we're doing as a company uh, and uh, engage with us in that space as well. So um, I want to, again, thank everybody uh, for being here. We are going to go ahead and wrap it up and wish you all a good evening and good night.